authors, editors, publishers, book cover designers, agents, critics, readers. A whole lot of professionals come together for a book. We are going to explore the world of books in our unique podcast show called Book Lounge. Book Lounge is brought to you by iCafe Podcasts, born with a collaboration between Tell Me Your Story and Zero Hour Entertainment. I am your host, Koral Dasgupta, all set to ask some interesting, straightforward and fun questions to our guests. I'm sitting with Ron Charles and telling you about Ron, writing about books and publishing for the Washington Post has earned Ron Charles many awards in journalism and as a book critic. For a dozen years, he enjoyed teaching American literature and critical theory in the Midwest. Before moving to the district, he edited the book section of the Christian Science Monitor in Boston. Welcome to Book Lounge, Jerome. Thank you so much. It's a delight to talk to you. Absolutely. My pleasure as well. So, uh, Ron, I have a lot of questions to ask you, so I'll get up <laughs> those one after the other. Uh, how did books become such an important section for a news portal like the Washington Post? And, uh, yeah. It started a long time ago, long before I got here, of course. Uh, we had a section called uh, Book World, uh, and it uh, has been for many decades one of the United States' most important and revered book sections. I, uh, newspapers started covering books because they realized that so much culture was embedded in books, so much of the sort of deep thinking and artistic culture was there. Uh, and so... The Post and other newspapers, although not so many as I would like, uh, realized they had to cover that section if they wanted to capture something less transitory, something less temporary. The sort of deeper thoughts in a culture uh, were all inscribed in its books. So uh, actually, the reason I asked you this question is that uh, this section, the book section in the Washington Post, is it's one of those unique uh, spaces where it has its own separate identity. And I know that it has launched many years ago and it has got a lot to taken a lot of time to build itself and take itself forward. But what I also understand is that uh, with the kind of people involved with this particular section, uh, there has been a very strong vision which has repeated year after year and at no point of time. This particular section has not had its own identity. How did that happen? Well, a lot of it has to do with the paper's identity, which is a concentration on politics, of course, uh, particularly since the Watergate hearings that made the paper world famous. Uh, so our section has always had this strong interest in politics, not just in nonfiction, but in fiction, too. Uh, yeah. We've had uh, several Pulitzer Prize winning critics come out of this section. Uh, there's always been an emphasis on trying to be entertaining, trying to be smart, uh, trying to be attuned to the political winds of the era and how that is uh, told and written about in both works of history and politics and also, you know, other parts of the book publishing industry that people might not associate with it, even in poetry and romance. We always look for how are people thinking about politics in all different kinds of books. Mm. So you just named politics. I would uh, like to ask you that uh, I know that polit uh, the Washington Post is extremely active in the political, in its political dialogues, and it is uh, extremely strong in the way it uh, interprets. Uh, does the book section have any kind of uh, leaning on the political ideology of the Washington Post? For example, if you get a book 
which talks about a reverse political ideology. Would you go ahead with a book if it is good, based on its merit, or you would probably not go for it? Oh, no. I think uh, our critics, of course, these are opinion writers, so our critics have very strong political ideals. But the book section itself uh, wants to cover a wide variety of political attitudes and ideologies. And I think our, particularly our nonfiction book critic who's in charge of assigning those kinds of books uh, bends over backwards to make sure he's being fair, not just in the kind of books he assigns, but making sure that he picks reviewers from a variety of political ideologies. Oh. Uh, I think on the fiction side, you know, so many fiction writers are liberals mm-hmm. uh, that I'm sure you it would, it would it would be disingenuous to say that that ideology is not overrepresented in our pages for the fiction pages. Uh, but we on the nonfiction pages, he tries to be uh, as as balanced as he can and is and is very self-conscious about picking reviewers across that spectrum. Okay. So how do you guys uh, select the books uh, which you are taking up for reviews or is it based on the author's merit or, I mean, is there a specific criteria which defines the merit of a book? Or the- <laughs> no, <laughs> no. Yeah, a lot Sadly of people there would have not. this question to ask. I don't know whether you have faced this question before, but I'm sure across the world there would be a lot of people who would want to ask you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. It is the most common question, and you'd think I'd have a better answer. Uh, we get about 150, 150 books a day. Oh. So let that sink in. That's, about, that's more than 800 a week, or about 800 a week. But yeah. we're only reviewing about 20 a week. So we're reviewing only the smallest fraction of all the books that are pouring in. Now, of course, some of those are excluded immediately. They're textbooks or business books that are outside our purview or their paperback reprints or their self-published books uh, or their genres that we just don't cover. Uh, so you exclude a lot of those, but you still have hundreds of books left to choose from. And what the editors are trying to do, particularly now as we have this worldwide audience, is to be very intentional about picking a variety of books in terms of subject, in terms of author, in terms of approach, style to make sure that we are reaching all different kinds of readers. Because, you know, in the olden days, a few decades ago, we knew who our readers were. They were people of Washington. Uh, But then with the Internet, they were people of the United States. And now it's people all over the world read the Washington Post every day. So we're trying more and more to be as diverse as we can. When -hmm. it comes to picking the books, Yes, we do attend to the big authors. You have to, because that's who people recognize. That's who people want to talk about. We are a newspaper, after all. We want to talk about authors who are in the news. Mm -hmm. Uh, So those people are a given. Once you get off those bestsellers or recognizable names or the the most hyped books, it becomes much more tricky to try and make sure you're – like what debut novels should you review? After all, you haven't read them yet. Uh, How do you go about assigning them? Then it comes down to – the trade reviews, that is the advanced reviews we get a few months before books appear, mm-hmm. uh, trying to make sure we're attending to our own balances. For instance, have we done a lot of books like this before? Or maybe this is a subject we have never uh, given enough attention to, so we might be more willing to. So it's about creating balance. It's about the surprise, element of surprise mm-hmm. and its uh, prominence. Okay. And uh, are you genre-specific in your selection in the sense that today, if you have done a thriller, next, would you prefer a romance or there's nothing like that? We found 
I found when I was in charge of the book section that we were not attending to those genres enough. So we started columns specifically to address romance, poetry. Mm-hmm. We had a thriller column. Uh, we found that was a better way of attending to those if we had somebody assigned to it who would pick three or four or five books in that genre every month. It was a better way to make sure we weren't missing that genre. For myself, I review literary fiction almost exclusively now. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I try to make sure within that section that I'm not always reviewing, you know, the kind of books I would like to do, Mm -hmm. uh, whatever that might be, but that I do review Westerns and uh, literary thrillers and that I do review books, not just in New York, but all across the country. Uh, It becomes a balancing act when you have to review certain authors who are so famous Mm -hmm. But uh, I'd say I review a debut novel, oh, I don't know, at least every six weeks or so, I hope. Oh, that's brilliant. So uh, given that, I mean, I'm asking you this because uh, it is a social media generation. It's an internet generation. And we would like to understand this part as well, that how much are your selection of books influenced by social media analytics or if at all, is it? I would say not at all. Oh, yeah. The book community on social media is extremely active, but it's also extremely narrow. Mm. We're after we're after readers outside that community because we know the book community is already with us, and mm. we'd really like to reach a wider audience than that. That's brilliant. Okay, so uh, I'll get personal now, Rod. Which <laughs> book that you personally reviewed, and uh, other than the good and bad areas of the book. What else did you include in it? Oh, my or, gosh. You're taking, or maybe you're t- should I ask you that, were you a strict reviewer in your first review? Uh, no, I was an English teacher. I'd been <laughs> an English teacher for about a dozen years, and I loved it, but I was very tired of grading papers. There were many, many <laughs> papers to grade, and I, I think I was complaining about this to somebody, and they said, well, why don't you try book reviewing? And I had never even consider that I had literally no idea how one would go even go about such a thing. But of course, I'd read book reviews my whole adult life. So I went to a bookstore and there was, of course, a table of new books. And I picked one about an English teacher by Richard Russo called Straight Man. And I went home and I read it and I wrote it up and wrote what I thought was a book review. And I sent it off to a newspaper and they bought it. And oh. that was it. I mean, it was completely accidental. It was, it was just such a fluke. And they asked for more. And so I kept doing it. And I mostly reviewed books I liked mm-hmm. at that time. And I think it would be fair to say I have stuck with that as a principle, because I think most people are looking for what to read next. What should I read? What did you enjoy? No one ever asks me, you know, tell me about a book I haven't heard of that you didn't like. Uh, I think there is a place for that, uh, particularly among more serious critics. But uh, for newspaper reviewers, I think people turn to us for recommendations. So I usually, I usually am a fairly positive reviewer. Okay, and uh, Ron, what is the academic? I mean, I'm not. This is not an academic question. This is a more uh, general question meant for book reviewers who would want to take a book reviewing more seriously. There's a lot of difference between a book critic and a book review. If you agree to this, if you could explain the difference to our audience. I think it's a spectrum rather than a difference. Mm. But uh, on uh, the most serious literary critics 
are stepping back and looking at collections of books or mm -hmm. literary history or major themes across a number of books mm -hmm. or, a, or a writer's life. Whereas book reviewers are much closer to reporters, cultural reporters. Mm -hmm. uh, they're the first people on the spot. They're the first people to read the book and tell you what it's about, what its themes are, and how well it succeeds and what it's set out to do. Uh, the critics come in months, often years later, and draw much larger patterns and evaluate books in their position in you know the literary culture. I'm not saying that book reviewers don't do that or shouldn't do that. But I think it is the purview of literary critics who follow us, who do who do that more. Also, it's a practical matter of length. Newspaper book reviewers are typically writing seven to nine hundred words, whereas yeah. serious literary critics working in, say, the New York Review of Books or their own books of criticism have tens of thousands of words to use. So it's a completely different approach. Okay. How was a literature lover in you born? I mean, what books did you grow up reading and what? who was the first storyteller in your life? Tell me about how you became you. Oh, my gosh. Uh, my parents are very witty, delightful people still. And uh, I remember well my uh, father reading me Winnie the Pooh by A.A. Milne and the two of us just thinking it was the funniest thing ever, just mm -hmm. dying laughing. And I think I discovered there my delight with literature and storytelling. My mother was a theater director for many years, uh, and I sat through hundreds, possibly thousands of rehearsals of American musicals uh, that she directed for high school. And I think I developed a sense of uh, comedy, uh, theatricality, storytelling uh, from her. She's also a great storyteller. So that was that was probably where the roots of my interest uh, came from. Okay. You have been a teacher of literature. So I would like to ask you that do you think teachers of literature have a role to play in developing one's love for books? Yes. And the best ones, like my wife, <clears throat> do it well. Uh, <laughs> the, <laughs> she's, she's downstairs Skyping with students right now, as a matter of fact. Uh, I fear, though, that some don't do it well and do real damage. And I say this with great hesitancy because I have such respect for teachers, but I do cringe when I hear people tell me about English classes in which all they did was scan lines of poetry and look for symbols and get tested on literary terms like uh, foreshadowing and other rhetorical issues. That seems to me so deadening. Uh, mm -hmm. Such a way to turn people off. Also, I'm troubled by the way, and maybe it's changed, but I don't think it has. I'm troubled by the way students are presented with classic literature that is too old for them, too early. When you think of the kind of classic American literature that we're taught in high school, or I was taught in high school, it was all about middle-aged malaise, you know, and sexual mm -hmm. dysfunction. And what 15-year-old boy knows anything about that or cares anything about that? Mm -hmm. I, think, I think the books should be livelier. They should be more diverse. Uh, they should be much more hopeful. They should reflect, in other words, the attitudes of teens. Uh, and I think that is happening to some extent. Okay. 
would you like to recall anybody in your life, any teacher or professor who may have inspired you when you were a student? There are many of them, but I, I think it was my junior high school English teacher uh, who made me a very serious reader of American literature, mm -hmm. uh, Gary Brayshaw. Uh, he took us through really tough books like uh, Nathaniel Hawthorne's Scarlet Letter and Herman Melville's Moby Dick, uh, books that you know are, are really challenging. And I read them with great relish and then read them again in college and then again in graduate school. And each time I was impressed by how much that high school teacher was able to get out of us and was able to make us feel some enthusiasm for these old, naughty classical stories. Mm. So, uh, you know, the way you were talking about teaching literature and influencing, uh, the next question that comes to my mind is that, uh, how do you see your role as a book critic, or more than a book critic, a, an influencer in this space? Because uh, reviews and recommendations aside, you are trying to build a taste for the audience. That could be your student, that could be your reader. How, what is your personal and professional vision there? It is very close to my old role as a teacher. I want to encourage enthusiasm in my readers, just as I wanted to encourage enthusiasm in my students. I want them to understand that there are books out there that will inspire and move uh, and enrich their lives. And I, that's my goal. That's my hope. Uh, and that's what I try to write each review to do. Okay. I'll ask you a few fun questions before I wind up. So, <laughs> <laughs> one is, that if you have to, I mean, you have read, reviewed many, many books. Out of that, if you have to pick up one, which you would pass on to the next generation, which book would you recommend? Gosh, it, it, was a, it was a book I didn't actually review, but it was a book I did read, uh, which is uh, Toni Morrison's Beloved. Okay. It just had an enormous impression on me, uh, completely changed the way I thought about American history, mm -hmm. American culture, and what's possible in a novel. I think it's already being recognized, it has already been recognized as one of the great novels of the 20th century. And I think, although it's very hard to choose, you know, what will last, I think that is a book that, that will. It's just an, an immensely profound book. Brilliant. So you have been a teacher of American literature and critical theory. Your wife is an English teacher and cinematographer of uh, this uh, satirical series called the Totally Hip Video Book Review. Have you guys ever fought over who gets to read a particular book first? <laughs> no, <laughs> no, we don't. We don't fight about anything, actually, but certainly not that because uh, I get the books three months before they come out, and my poor wife has to keep rereading. <laughs> has to keep rereading the books for her class. So uh, what she usually does is save up three or four books that I've enjoyed during the year, and then she reads them during the summer when she's off. Uh, so we're, we're wildly out of sync. Sorry. Although I should say that I read to her when we travel. Uh, I don't drive, and she does. So when she's driving, I typically read to her whatever I'm reviewing. So then we're hearing them at exactly the same time, although she <laughs> hardly ever gets to hear the whole book. She'll get crucial bits of it and then ask me later what happened. You have the early bird advantage anyway. So I know, yeah. I know why that fight has never happened. <laughs> <laughs> okay. The 
the last question, Rod. Today, if your books, one of your book, if it has to be reviewed by your dream reviewer, who would you choose and why? Oh my gosh, that's such a tough question because <laughs> because the reviewers I respect most, you know, would just tear my book to pieces. Uh, <laughs> oh please. <laughs> so, so I guess, I guess if I ever write a book, I would want some really bad reviewer to do it, uh, who wouldn't, who wouldn't have the the uh, the, the courage to uh, say. Anything. But anyhow, my favorite reviewer out there is, gosh, I would, I would rather not say. Uh, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, but I respect very many uh, reviewers. Uh, a lot of people are doing great work, and more than ever, there's a lot of anonymous reviewers out there too, because mm. of Goodreads and Amazon and and other blogs where people you'd never even heard of spend so much time and really write surprisingly insightful, moving, knowledgeable reviews of books. I'm so, that is surprisingly because you know they don't have a position, they're not being paid, they just do it out of the goodness of their heart. I think that's that's one of the more wonderful things about the uh, internet book culture. Reading that book and just feeling that necessity to talk about it, you know. Right. I think that's that's nice. Although it puts a lot of pressure on you know the few book critic, professional book critics who are left. But uh, my favorite book critic, I should say, is James Wood at the New Yorker. I think he's uh, absolutely brilliant. Uh, he's changed the way we read. Uh, he's introduced his, a few of his own terms into the literary critical vocabulary. Uh, he's a remarkable critic. Right. Ron, I had a great time talking to you. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, it's a great honor to talk to you so far away. I really appreciate you reaching out. Thank you, audience, for listening to our show, Book Lounge, brought to you by iCafe Podcasts. Please do reach out to us with your thoughts and suggestions on hello at iCafePodcasts.com. Subscribe to www.icafepodcasts.com and you can also hear us on other audio apps. Stay tuned with us for Book Lounge. iCafe is brewing.